Hello world, it's me, Dennis, and I get the pleasure of talking with Maher Mata today. Hello, Maher. How are you, Dennis? I am well. I am in Texas today on the 18th of May. You are in D.C.? Yep, Northern Virginia. What is, what is impelling you there today? Well, we live here. Both my wife and I have lived in Northern Virginia for some time. She's more or less a Virginia native. She is from New York, Long Island, but generally she's been in Virginia for well, a long time. I think all through elementary, middle, high school, that sort of thing. Uh, whereas I grew up mostly in Tennessee mm-hmm. in Georgia, but I took a job in Virginia years ago and just never left. So you, been, you were born. I was born in Lebanon, and then I, I, in nineteen, uh, and you told me nineteen eighty-two. What was yeah. your family doing in Lebanon there, and what got you to the United States? Well, that was right when you know I'm not a I'm not a Lebanese Civil War buff, but that was certainly around the tail end of the Civil War in Lebanon. Yes, and then. Um, we, my dad was in the Lebanese army actually for a long time, and a window of opportunity came out open for us to uh, immigrate uh, to the U.S. and we did, and we actually already had family established in Georgia. We had we had you know uh, people from our village in Lebanon that had gone mm-hmm. all over the world, all over the world, California, Canada, Australia, Europe, everywhere. But mm-hmm. it so happened to be that my mom's connection was Georgia, my dad's connection was in Australia. So we ended up immigrating to uh, North Georgia, about an hour north of Atlanta. So we, we landed there in uh, 80, I think April of 86 or April of 85. So I was only, I mean, I was a child. I was only three or four years old. And we spent, uh, that was our first, that was our first home. Rural, and you spoke, Georgia. and so your first language was Lebanese. Yep, Lebanese Arabic, yeah. Lebanese Arabic. Mm-hmm. All right, here's the parallels. I was born in Mexico. Okay. I came here when I was four years old. Okay. Speaking Spanish. Right. So both of us got an opportunity to 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 learn. Both of us have lost our accents. Right. Yeah. I did it according to my mother deliberately because I would glare at her because I wanted to fit in. Right. What was your experience? Well, I, you know, I grew, I, I grew up, uh, I kind of argue with my wife about this. She says that, that Arabic was my, uh, is my, is my, you know, native language. But I always argue with her that like, when you grew up, when you grow up, when you grow up speaking both at the same time, you don't really have like a mother language in my opinion, yes. unless you move to the U S when you are, I've had cousins who have moved here in their late teens and early twenties. They, they almost never lose their accent. Almost. But in my case, uh, um, I basically grew up speaking Arabic up until I was, you know, three or four. That was my only language. And then, of course, coming to the U.S., going to schools and whatnot. And now I think I am I consider myself obviously a native English speaker. And I consider myself very, very, very good at Arabic, especially the Levantine accent, uh, Lebanese, Syrian, Palestinian, Jordanian. But but when it comes to formal Arabic, I don't consider myself a native Arabic speaker. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Because formal Arabic is very different. Exactly. So you, all right. So you, you, you got here, you grew up. Tell me about your elementary experience. Who was this kid that was growing up in Tennessee and then, right. and then in Georgia Yeah. during that time? Mm-hmm. It was actually the other way around. It was Georgia first, a, a yeah. small elementary school, and then eventually Tennessee. You know I like, you know, I really had a very, I really had a good school experience. I, I don't have bad school memories. You know, some, some people grew up and they have like bad memories of elementary school, middle school and high school. Sure. I had, I had very good experiences, but the only reason I'm saying that is because I'm very lucky. I mean, I grew up in a very rural area that wasn't mm-hmm. very, that wasn't very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, especially uh, North Georgia that got, they actually have a big Mexican population in uh, Dalton, Georgia. Yep. Uh, especially relative for its size. But anyway, generally speaking, where I grew up was was always pretty um, wasn't super diverse. Now I went to 
I finished middle school in Knoxville, Tennessee. So it was a bigger city and it had a little more diversity. But in the uh, 90s, even a city like Knoxville, which is a, which is a pretty good-sized town, really sure. still wasn't very diverse, really. It's yeah. gotten there. It's gotten there now. So I remember definitely times like being the only Middle Eastern kid, for lack of a way of better putting it, where my name would automatically make me stick out or uh, my complexion or something. Sure. But and I, but but the thing is, I always took everything with humor as a kid, and I would always, um, I would always address my funny name before other people could make fun of it. You know what I mean? And I think absolutely. a lot of comics, I think a lot of comics do that. I think a lot of comics very do that. exactly. Do you remember the compelling of the laughter when you were able to get laughter from that? Because when I was a kid, and that hooked me. I there there is a, you know, I I don't like needles. But I've explored just about every other drug you can imagine within the in, in the realm of pharmacology. But there is no high that I can t that I that equates from having mm -hmm. that audience right. with you and going. Yeah. It's funny you said that because I hate needles, too. But uh, the, no, there absolutely is nothing like making people laugh. I mean, even as a kid, I remember vividly getting getting pleasure out of making out of making people laugh and actually it's funny because as a kid i really tried to make it like a challenge to myself to make the teachers laugh the adults laugh mm -hmm. making that making mm -hmm. the grown-ups laugh was a big deal to me because yeah. it meant it meant that you know if i could make them laugh then i was on the right track and then i remember and this is kind of putting myself on a pedestal a little bit, I suppose. But I remember in, in school, elementary school, and you hear, you hear a lot of comics say this too, like, you know, teachers and kids signing my yearbook, you're the funniest. Sure. We, we can't wait to see you on TV. You're so funny. Exactly. You're funny. And that also made me feel good. Like, okay, I actually am funny. These are the, the these are, are the pedestals. So, so did you get a sense of, hey, I want to do this. This would be my... Kind of. At the time, I didn't really, didn't really. When I was a kid, I didn't really know that I wanted to be a comedian. Right. But I knew, I, but I knew I was funny, and people would tell me, "Oh, you should go into, you should go into uh, comedy, even even as a kid." And sure. then, uh, but it it wasn't really until until I hit my teenage years when I when I first tried stand up, but especially because I grew up in the uh, in the Seinfeld era. With, yep. with the with the actual TV show Seinfeld, which exactly, which is which is what I want to ask uh, ask you about your influences because there is so much Jack Benny in you. I don't know if you rem know him. Or I've heard know of him. Yeah. All right, but there is so much in your in your space between your pacing is ex extraordinary. You allow things to land and sit, and allow that to come. That is. Just extraordinary. I admire I really, that so I, much. I really appreciate that. And I think that delivery is the hardest thing to learn in stand-up. And, and it really just comes from doing it over and over and over again. I think a lot of people write really good material, but their delivery is not right. Or their delivery is really good, but the material is not there yet. Sure. So it's, it's like this weird thing. But I remember watching – I really liked the way the fact that Seinfeld as a show – revolved around a comedian it, exactly. not, not, and i don't mean a comedian actor i mean an actual working comedian whereas other shows at that time even you know the big ones even even the cosby show going a little further back sure bill cosby played a doctor whereas jerry seinfeld actually played a comic and so watching him do his thing and sort of being around his friends in the show and being an acting or I mean excuse me an active comedian and then finally trying stand up and there was really there's really no turning back for me however as uh, you'll see with all comics we go through dark phases of you know, oh. real, you know is there any point in doing this anymore is exactly it's not working for me anymore you know I see other people succeeding and they're doing so well and just not happening for me and so you go through those phases too, but oh, ninety-eight percent of the time, or maybe ninety percent of the time, I feel pretty good about it and right. just keep trucking but, along. But what kept that tenacity? First of all, was there familial support when when your your family, your parental units, the, whatever that was, said, "Let's try this and 
the art or let's make sure and have this backup plan what was the the story For friends of mine 100 percent. they were incredibly supportive and they were they thought i was very funny and i should do it and pursue comedy and keep you know even today my friends are like don't give up don't give up keep doing it keep doing it family on the other hand while supportive they knew i was funny but i was uh different funny around them because yeah. as a, because it's like you know we all act different around our families anyway of so, course I mean, you, Kate, have a podcast. You you right. you brought this in. You're you're actually being part of mm -hmm. this process of saying, okay, let's. If my life was online all times, what would that look like? Well, you're right. giving us little slices and yeah pieces of that. So now, take us back to your family and what. So they family, no one ever said don't don't pursue comedy they, they they thought it was funny they 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 had seen me perform before everyone was everyone liked it i went into law enforcement initially i went well not initially i went into law enforcement well after doing comedy uh -huh. and i was i was a virginia state trooper for a number of years and when i wanted to go into into law enforcement into being working on the interstate basically as a trooper that's when family was like eh, are you sure about that that's not really you know it's dangerous it's not really your personality and and uh, they actually had more objection, not from a, not from an anti-law enforcement perspective, but more like we they were just like you know might not be your personality, and you got to you're going to be reeling, you're going to be dealing with some scary situations. And absolutely. So, what did you learn about yourself in that experience? That experience of being being a trooper. I, I only did it for a few years. I will tell you that uh, the Virginia State Police is is um really an, an excellent organization they really know they really know how to train troopers and, and 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 the training is always evolving now the state police academy at the time that i went through was 35 weeks long so it was it was really really long it was it was paramilitary style where of course you know and the guys that did the best in it frankly all had military background they were used to the to the physical exercise they were used mm -hmm. to getting up early and a lot of us that were either high school or college educated we had a mixture of both from all over the state we had people from very rural southwest virginia mm -hmm. which is a which is a very southern lifestyle compared to northern virginia which is totally 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 different so you had people in the academy from both worlds you had people from troopers from the chesapeake area which is a different culture too but anyway uh so the first thing was overcoming the state police academy and and proving that that that, that I could that I could get get through that academy. But it's interesting. One thing that slowly my once you get, once you first start the academy, you're on you're on a straight line and you are very yes sir no sir. You're very absolutely. You, but, but the longer you're there, the the kind of the more you realize you can get away with personality wise and push your boundaries a little bit. So. Probably close to halfway through the academy, I started doing, um, you know, in our squad rooms when we're by ourselves at night or early, you know, when we have our little breaks, I started doing impersonations of different uh, state police instructors. Well, I remember in the state police academy, uh, at one point in the actual academy, in the classroom, the big classroom, they said, well, every year someone can always do impersonations. We understand uh, trainee Maddox can do it why don't you come down here here and and once i did that the instructors and everyone kind of knew that i'd done stand up they were kind of they would let not, i wouldn't say they let me get away with more but they knew that i wasn't just a smart ass i was actually a comedian so i was doing stuff to make people laugh and i as matter of fact just two days ago a, a guy i graduated with he's no longer a trooper called me and said man i was just thinking about all the funny times and he's a friend of mine and he actually told me he said my and he's just me many times, and it really means a lot to me. He said, Meher, if it was not for you, I couldn't have made it through that captain. I said, I said, well, I don't think that's the case. I think you would have done fine. He goes, no, man, I'm telling you. Just the, the, the way we used to laugh after a stressful day, I'm telling you, I would not have made it through that captain. And he says it time and time again. How does that feel? Can you accept praise as, can you accept the kind of praise as well as criticism it, because yeah. it's harder it, sometimes it's harder to do that it's it can be 
I, I praise I don't do well with. I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that well. No, no, no. But in hit, in, you, the unique thing about my friend John when he says that to me is it actually makes me feel good to know that I helped him through that trial of the State Police Academy. But I didn't exactly. see it as. But I didn't see it as, yeah, John thinks I'm the funniest guy in the world. No, I actually thought as. Exactly. You made a difference. You made a difference yeah. in his life. You. Yes. This, this is what. This is what you were. You were doing. All right. So what's the what was the impetus? How did that the change come from? OK, I'm done with this experience and it's time. What was that that metamorphosis like? There was a bit there was a bit of um, when I was a trooper, I, I was going I was married at the time and we ended up getting a divorce. I was unhappy at home. Uh, she, my ex-wife was a very nice person, but it, we weren't good together. Mm -hmm. And so it was affecting me at work. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, appreciating the job for what it was. I loved working by myself. As a trooper, I was often by myself, and I really liked that. Yeah. But, but, but at the end of the day, something didn't feel right. I got married very quickly after I graduated. And so I, kinda, I was ready to make some changes, so I ended up applying to the federal government and left the state police. And then... Um, that was back in 2011, and and so the transit. But the biggest the biggest point of the transition was, uh, well, quite selfishly, a little bit of money. I mean, the state police is a good, job and and they've done better with the state paying paying these guys and, and men and women who go out there and, and work on the road. But at the time, I was like, gosh, I just feel like I could be do something different. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, in Virginia and Northern Virginia, especially if you have foreign language. You can you can get a better you can get a better paying job ultimately. Of course. So I started looking at that, and and uh, the state police was they knew if I had stayed with the state police long enough, eventually they would have they would have put me more on the investigation side of stuff. I think, and I have friends that are doing it, and absolutely they love it. So anyway, so then I was like, well, I guess I'll try something new. I'll try a new a new thing in my life. I will say I do regret leaving as quickly as I did. I wish I had given it. I wish I had given it probably two to three more years just to like experience more of it. I, I mm. left. I think I left a little too quickly, honestly. And so, what happens now? Well, then I applied to uh, the federal government and I got hired, and I've been working with the federal government now since. Uh, um, 2011 yeah and you know it's it's the dc area is nothing but uh contractors i mean it's and i'm not being sarcastic the bulk of the people that live here are working for the government or contractors of course contractors. and so but the thing i struggle with with that going from a police car from a state trooper car which i took mm -hmm. home every day as a take-home vehicle to working in an office like sitting at a computer desk is really grueling it is, and, I, and it's been something that I've tried to overcome for a number of years now. It is very, very, very difficult for me to sit down and do work at a computer. Not, not now, if it's it's creative work, I can sit there for a long time. It's something that yes. entertains me. I can I can do that. But if it's sitting there looking at a work computer, it's very difficult for me. I'm getting a little bit better at it, but it's been it's been uh, quite a quite a roller coaster for me. I mean, what a I, your patience astounds me. Well, I appreciate that. I, 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 it, I, I it really does. There's a tenacity to your hanging in there to see. You know, there's there's an expression in the recovery movement: "Don't quit before the miracle." How do you know? It's like working on a bit. You know, is, you know something's there, right? But you don't know what. But you but you keep working on it. Yeah, that's right. You do, and I think. Comedy is, well, entertainment is weird because you always do sort of feel like, you know, you hear stories, other comedians, big names, smaller oh, yeah. names going and they tell you it was that one thing that one time somebody saw me. You know, I will say um, I don't have professional representation. I don't have an agent or a manager, but I will say I was invited to audition to two different TV pilots. And that was enough for me to go, you know what? Someone's paying attention. Someone, cool. yeah, so I got invited to audition to two different ones, one with Fox and one with Amazon. And it was like, all right, I don't have representation and I got invited to that stuff. I should be, I should be glad. That means that, that means that ideally, hopefully, more to come. Exactly. 
You, and one of the things that I think that you have as a um, is the, your ability to do characters. Yeah, we're talking about this. In, in, yeah. You're talking about this impersonation, but 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 yeah. your character work. When right. even when you when you drop into your southern uh, right. character or you drop mm-hmm. into the 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 Arabic, I mean, it, yeah. th- there's a complete transformation there. I mean, you that's you a, you really move into that as character work, and that's yeah. stunning to watch. I really appreciate it. And it's something I've actually wanted to incorporate more. I've been trying to work on different accents different American style accents, different Southern accents, different Arabic accents, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a few others that I'm, that I'm, that I'm trying to get down. It's so much fun to, to, uh, to go into that character, you know, to, to pretend to be someone else just for a few yeah. seconds or a few minutes. It's a lot of fun. I mean, some people, some people um, think it's kind of weird for a grown man to go around doing voices and acting goofy and but i do it all the time i do it with my kids i do it with my wife and friends of mine just uh, one of my best friends were always kind of doing these goofy characters and trying out different accents and playing with the difference between the minnesota accent and the accent in tennessee and i think that stuff is so much fun that is what you listen like how do you listen to get that yeah. like like i can i can do i can do a french accent wonderfully mm-hmm. i can do mm-hmm. a spanish accent i've got those those mm-hmm. those down and i can do the southern accent yeah. or at least the texan the texan right. part of it although sometimes i do drift east i mean there there's so much you have that mm-hmm. louisiana accent each yeah. one of these but an english accent I am horrible. I don't yeah. know what the hell is it about you these know, English accents that just that, yeah, that just knocked, knocked the shit out of me. I can't. I I can't do it. You yeah. know what's really helped me is uh, not trying to imitate the accent, but trying to imitate a character that speaks that that accent. You uh, know what I mean? Like uh, I picture. So instead of saying, "All right, do an accent from Tennessee," I would rather say, "All right, imitate a guy who is having trouble with his pickup truck." And he's taking it to the shop, and he's talking to his wife about it. Because once I, because once I, like, oh, you know, brilliant. So once you kind of like do the character, the the act, you you pick up their mannerisms and do their do their like with the Arabic accents, for example. It's mostly making fun of people more than it is mm-hmm. the accent. It's just that the yeah. accent comes along with it. You know yes. what I mean? Uh, that's the hardest thing because if you say if someone says to you okay do a uh, scottish accent and then you start mm. going into a scottish accent but if someone says all right do a scotsman do a laughing with his friends then you kind of go all right what we're then, then that right, is you... really sophisticated that that is great I, that you you thank you yeah i'm glad for I, that, that helps so put into the character. That's what I'm going to, I'll do. And I'll, I'll work that more because I read aloud to my wife mm-hmm. and uh, I, every night as a site reading both of this and I do the characters that are in there and it helps me so much when I'm doing right. a character rather than just trying to do the action. Yeah. It makes a big difference. It really does. It, it, it puts you in the person's shoes. Sure. So where are you on this career journey? Uh, on this career journey today and in in 2020, what are the things that that are out in front of you that you're thinking about that you're looking at? Well, Drybar helped. Drybar helped me because number one, it got me some decent viewer, some decent viewing numbers. And you know, in, in comedy and social media, let's face it, it's all about the numbers. In in any of the media now, it's one. It's, yeah. it, it is both a feature and a bug. Yeah, at the same right. time, it, it, because it ends up being that, and if it bleeds, it leads. So therefore, the things that get attention, that keep my eyes on the page, mm-hmm. need to be salacious, need to be out of that in order to be able to give give me microseconds more on that page. That's right. So Drybar helped because it was the first time, and it was this. It's weird because when I first did Drybar, uh, October of two thousand nineteen. I was like, I've been saying these stupid jokes for years. Why is this still going to be funny? And the video, the video, first of all, they put an amazing production together. I have a few comic friends who have done it. Everyone's so excited to do it. They do an excellent job. It's excellently edited. I mean, it's top notch. Yep. So just, just having the video was, was a good feeling. And then having them post it on their Facebook page and, it, and, it, and getting, getting some decent views made me feel pretty good. 
Yes. But then it's like, well, now what? You know what I mean? That you, you want the next uh, thing to happen. Exactly. That, that's exactly now what? Yeah. So I picked up a little bit more, a little bit, very little traction, very little. Because, you know, you get a few thousand hits and then, but even if you get close to a million hits or so, realistically, it's not like people are just going to suddenly start following, 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 following. So it's, 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 this, it's this slow build. Like it took me this long to make a Facebook uh, fan page. Yeah. I hadn't had, I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll make one. But it's sort of, I'm glad I did because it makes me, it makes me have to post something funny versus, versus being lazy about it. So anyway, Drybar helped. And, and then, like I said, before Drybar, within the past couple of years, getting invited to auditions to TV pilots lifted my spirits a little bit made me feel like all right there's got maybe something can uh, can happen and actually it's weird because i had an experience where i met a uh, i met a famous comedian yeah and, and he was incredibly nice to me and and uh it, i actually met him sort of almost by accident and for for this famous comedian to be nice to me and to talk to me and shake my hand Mm-hmm. And and then eventually started liking a couple of things on my social media. That was like, all right, you know, it's nice. Nice to at least feel like someone funny thinks that I'm nice or funny. And for a comedian, that's a big deal. That is a big deal because your peers, if your peers, it's all to me that 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 is one of the highest. It is it's huge. It's, it's huge. It's also creatively it's creatively spurring that's right and so um so now i i hope that uh i hope what i'm hoping is that dry bar releases a couple more clips just to kind of keep the ball rolling a little bit i think they will i think they have a couple more bit I, uh, clips of mine that they might post so we'll see we'll see i mean i know that some comics have gone back and done dry bar once twice two and three times and i mean they're doing very well a lot of those comics have had a lot of success from doing just dry bar alone and sure. then you have comics that are going to do things like Netflix, and it's a big deal. Yeah. But so, at this point, you have to be aggressive. Yeah. Exactly. It's like own. authors now. You, you, the, very few authors sit back, send off a book, and then just sit back and wait for the royalty checks to come in. It's all part of the process. This is the new way of how, if you're going to market yourself, if you're going to be part of this process, you have to be part, you have to be part of this going forward. I mean, it's convenient. You can connect to people really easily. Um, you can you can see what comics are up to. A lot of comics are going live. Everybody from a comic who's just starting out to the Jerry Seinfelds of the of the world, absolutely. You know, promoting their stuff on social media. It, it's just the way it is, and it's a good way to connect with your fans. Exactly, because I mean, if you can find, I mean, if you can think of what if there is a micro audience that just finds you absolutely the gem of gems. Right. The people that will support you and promote you. Because I have a theory that there is a, that there is a lottery of some kind, like a universal lottery. And there's all this talent at this, at this level. And it's all pretty much at the same level of quality. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, one of those, like an electron, will jump to a higher level, will jump out to a higher level. But that doesn't, but it's it's of the same quality. They just happen to be at that number. No, I agree. I agree. I, 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 think, I think that's very true. I think uh, a lot of comic, it is, it is luck. A lot of it is luck. And, and I remember one time I was in New York for the, the Arab American Comedy Festival, which I do every year. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes through the weekend. On a Monday, I happened to get a spot at the same exact club, but it was their new night, new faces night. And the club had a, I think, a ten or fifteen minimum you have to bring with you. I happened to get, I happened to get in through a different channel, and I was lucky to get through this through that system where they didn't ask me to bring anybody. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'm still in the city. I might as well go do this. Uh, go might do as this. well. Might as well, yeah. So I get I get there and I think there was 15 comics and everybody brought either 10 or 15 people. So right there, it almost filled up the club. And then there was some more people that just came in to watch. Anyway, 
I think I was like number 13 to go up when I was really tired and I had to go back to Long Island that night and I was uh, flying back to uh, California at the time. And uh, I was just really not in the mood to do it, frankly. Anyway, I was number 13 and I looked out in the audience and I saw this man sitting there uh, with a, a big notepad. He was dressed very nice, suit and tie. And he was making notes and all the go, gosh, who's that guy? And then it kind of like made me go, well, if you're not in the mood, you, you better get in the mood now because there's no telling who that guy is. <laughs> You know, he could be an agent. He could be someone for The Tonight Show, whatever. So the the comic before me was not doing very well. Um, I think she was, and I say that, we, we all have those days. She just wasn't doing very well. And and so I, I looked over, and I was after her. And I, I was, he was kind of like not really paying attention because he was kind of like ready for the next comic. And uh, then, sure enough, he put away his pen, he put away his paper, and I go, oh my gosh, he's going to leave right before I go on stage. And uh, he's folding it up, he closes his stuff, he, go, he, leaves, he starts to walk out of the club, he says bye to the manager of the club, and I'm not kidding, he physically walked out of the club as I was going up, up, up on stage. Now, he could have seen my stuff and thought, that wasn't funny at all, see you later. But it would have been nice if he had seen my, at least, at least that way he might go, Hey, you know, if you worked on some stuff, we can talk or something, but it, it was like, I couldn't believe it. And stuff wow. like that. And other times, you know, some comics I've known comics well, who the, have had. There's the, the, there, there, I mean, all right. So do you have, you talk about this word luck. Let's, let's, what does that mean? I mean, because luck, I, I look at the at what tenacity has, and I also look at the at what this this universal principle. However, you look at it as yeah. destiny. Yes, I don't know if, yes. if if in if in the if in the the, the Lebanese Catholic uh, culture, and mm -hmm. I grew up around a lot of Lebanese Catholics mm -hmm. in South Texas because a lot of Lebanese migrated mm -hmm. to. Uh, South Texas, and right. so there, there, are, there's a whole group big population there, yeah. Big, so, so anyway, but but your sense of what luck and destiny, and and this, how how, how do you think about that? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because um, it, it's actually really interesting because I I've never been religious, and uh, and even today I'm not I'm I'm pretty agnostic really, but it's interesting because I have started looking into very slowly looking into kind of dabbling in it a little bit like this, this idea of um kind of uh fate or or maybe being more thankful i've heard comic i've heard a comic friend of mine say like you know if you have a good attitude i don't i don't think you're going to make the world shift for you but if you have a good attitude you start to notice things more you start to appreciate things more and I, I fall. I I I'll admit it takes me a lot to like have a good attitude and and. But I so I think it's a combination of being lucky as well as actually it's funny. I'll take dry bar comedy as an example. If I did not reach out to a comedy friend of mine who had done dry bar, I just politely asked him one day. I was like, "Hey man, how did you, does I said does uh I said does dry bar take submissions?" And he said. Uh, yeah, you, you have to contact the booker. And I was like, okay, I'll track that, I'll track that booker down. And then without missing a beat, he said, well, here's the booker's email. I was like, oh, okay. So if I hadn't have taken that luck and been, you know, which, or, or, or sort of that step to talk to my friend, and instead if I had complained, well, I'm never going to get on dry bar. So, Perfect. You know what I mean? So, so, all right. So how do you deal internally? I love this place because I feel like that I'm, I'm meeting the, the internal cynic versus the internal, uh, the internal aspirationalist inside yes. of Maher. And yes. these two are having a conversation. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's an, it's a never ending. It's a never-ending battle. I'm always like, um, I, I joke with my friend. I call it positive. And I think, um, I think some people do laugh at this idea of being being positive, but I think there is such a thing as being of, of 
something I, small, something I small. Really, I, I really think that, and, and what, what I have learned, um, Mahir, in my, in my journey as your very elder brother at 72, that, that there is a, a value to the specificity of my gratitude. If I'm just saying I'm grateful, that's right. like saying good job. Right. It's like eat, you eat, that's icing. Yeah. You, you get agree. a quick high from it, but, but there's no nutritional value. It's the specificity of the gratitude because it makes my attitude shift. And, and I it love what you yeah. said. You, 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 I, I think you nailed it brilliantly from my experience is that it, whether it changes the world or not, I don't know. I, I have this, this, this uh, thought experiment I go to that what if, is there any, is there any test I could possibly do that would prove whether or not pens come preloaded with words in them? Mm. And so the, therefore I cannot prove whether or not my changing my attitude changes the world out there, right. but right, I can, right, right. but I can prove, I can prove that I will notice different things depending upon my attitude and that noticing all the difference. Yes, I, I, I completely agree. If you if you notice um, things, you pay attention. You pay attention to those yeah. to those very things. Whereas if you're not um, thankful and paying attention to the small details, you, you miss you miss a lot of it. Now, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like when you go and look for something and then you find it right on. You, you go like, I can't believe it's, it's right, right there. there. Yeah, I was looking this whole time and, you know, your brain is like dismissing all this stuff constantly. It's a normal thing. So I, I, I it's helped me. It's helped. It's, it's, it has helped me um, to sort of uh, be at least more within the moment of what's going on and be, appre be appreciative of, uh, of what's going on. And then and then to be willing when you have that noticing to to let Pete, act on that. Yeah, you yeah, that's try on it, and, and yeah, rather yeah. rather than Ned uh, telling you to ah, what the exactly? Yeah, so a lot because a lot of times you're right. You will you will say, "What's the point? What's the point? What's the point?" Um, and you know, some people just take risks. I mean, some people are just more are more are more risk takers. They might say to themselves, "You know what? I am going to reach out to that one particular booker or that one comic or or." or they just take more risk. Whereas someone might say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to, I don't want to be annoying, but then exactly. they do it, but then they do it and they're successful. So it, it's amazing to me to see the dichotomy in you because I also am seeing it. And I say dichotomy, I was probably trichotomy or, or quadcotomy uh, that there are in, in us to be able to see your, how deeply conservative you are. And also deeply uh deeply aspirational if these two the, the these these worlds have lived together and have to live together in the in this in this space yeah they do because they do and also you know being a being not a being not a non-religious person or a, not a believer however you want to say it and i'm not one of these people that's you know one of these super atheists it's trying to tell everyone else look it's not real it's not real i don't i don't have that energy. but that, that that is exactly the same person who tells you that this is the one way and no other person those that yeah. those two people are exactly the they're, same they're very people similar. They're very when similar. like Feynman says god is too big for the stage if we yeah. cannot wrap our consciousness around what even every every it, it, it is if you can't if even at the expansion of that we could then then why why do i have to name it and put it in but I, how however i mean i can't tell you how electricity works uh I, for sure i mean i can't actually tell you but yeah, i can't yeah. tell you that, I, that if i plug into it i get power yeah I, I, it's funny Feynman and, and i used to, I, i've watched only recently watched watching his videos he's really fascinating and then i started right. watching some I started watching some of Daniel Dennett. Daniel Dennett's another big philosopher that I like. Uh, I think he's from Texas, actually. It was a professor in Texas or something. Cool. Maybe not. Maybe not Texas. Daniel but anyway, Dennett. Dennett D E N N E. I think Daniel Dennett. Uh, if I'm saying that right. Um, but anyway, and I and I there for a while. I really got into Alan Watts. Just yeah. watching. Yeah, I really just liked the way he he thinks and presents information. 
about the human mind and and you know it's actually interesting is a lot of a lot of comics i know jerry seinfeld's a big advocate of meditation and exactly and mindfulness and yeah and mindfulness. Pete, uh, yeah and pete hamill uh, yeah you bet seems to help that's, well, it, it does. It does for me. And uh, I have been just recently returned to meditation and, and it's helping me more with focus and also to notice that tiny little space between when I react to something mm-hmm. and when that there's a little space in there. And it, it was it wasn't there. And now I'm beginning to get just that tiny little space. It's nanoseconds, but it's so amazing. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, um, meditation, certain kinds of music can really have the same effect as, as prayer for a lot of people. I think, I think, I think exactly. prayer can, you know what I mean? I think prayer can, the same. Prayer, 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 at the end of the day, prayer is a form of meditation. It, 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 and that, then that's what it was always intended to be. It was always the part of it. I mean, you, you know that from the rosary, right? I mean, right. the rosary is a, is, is a, you work through the mantra and you work through that, right. that, that, that sort of a, a, a process. What got you and Kate, are, a couple of things I want to ask you. What has, how has your, uh, your marriage mm-hmm. and you guys deciding to do the, this podcast together, the bald spot? Well, and, I, and, I love yeah. that. I love that concept. And I love I'm going to be working with my producer, Renee uh, Jaworski, on doing one uh, and doing uh, some work with her on that way. But tell me a little about that experience. Well, actually, I started the podcast first by myself because I just wanted to have some fun talking on, 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 on to myself, really. Yep. And and I did that for a while. I would kind of just present my background and information. And then I was like, well, I start I got to start interviewing some people and talking to some people. And so I did that with some comedians in the D.C. area, and that was fun. But I also think, like, Kate's very type A. She's a lot more assertive. She's an assertive personality, whereas I'm more laid back, more type B. So I thought, well, it would be interesting to have Kate come on and, and, and talk. And actually, it worked out really well because, because our personalities, she's kind of, she, you know, they kind of, like, butt heads a little bit. And, and I really... Really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that with her. It's in the conflict. That's where so much of the con, uh, comedy comes from. The contrast yes. and then the yes. different world views. Yeah, hundred. That's why I think, like for me personally, I don't. I don't think there's anything funnier than Kerber enthusiasm. I think Kerber enthusiasm is the funniest thing that's ever been written. Now, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of Woody Allen brilliant funny movies, but I'm talking about as far as a comedy goes, and you know, Larry David thrives on that conflict irony arguing and arguing with people he brings celebrities on the show and just turns them into monsters i think it's so funny i think it's so so funny so so what's on your what's on your um, plate right now that you're that, that you're interested in investing your time in in addition to the uh ball spot in addition to, uh to what are what what kinds of things that are interesting to you and you're exploring? I'm kind of going back to square one a little bit with writing, just writing, 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 which you should always be doing anyway as a as a right. comic. But I'm kind of like trying to slow down a little bit. I think for a while I was thinking, all right, I'm going to put the podcast live. I'm going to do it live on Facebook. And I had some pretty good feedback. But but at the same time, it's like, all right, you know what? I just want to write some jokes. I just want to go back to just writing some jokes now on social media people tend to want you know things like you've heard of tiktok this new app oh but oh yes i have heard i have heard of it and know know nothing more you know i I know about as much uh, about as 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 i do about jakarta right well the thing about tiktok is, is my cousin was telling me about it the videos are if I'm not mistaken, either 15 seconds or one minute. You can do either 15 right. second, 15 second upload and one minute upload. Got it. Look, at the end of the day, people, my generation and younger, uh, do not want to sit and watch a long video. They just nope. don't. So I've been trying to think. All right, then I'm going to try a different tactic. I don't want to do TikTok, but I might do shorter little skits or. Um, or maybe uh, a, a, a one-line joke. I'll try to kind of do that thing. I was actually talking to someone recently, a comic friend of mine, and I was thinking, you know those, those long 
funny, funny, funny Woody Allen movies and Mel Brooks movies. And we, we, were, we were watching Princess Bride last night. I talked to someone else about that just yesterday, actually. I don't know that people have the patience for that anymore. Why not? And what value might there be in recultivating that? And and I and I don't ask that just as a, as a as a uh, as an old guy who is looked back. Yeah. Oh, I just remember back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying that, but I but I am understanding that the because I watch shows that have long arcs. Mm-hmm. Joss Whedon is a hero of mine. So. Mm-hmm. Buffy and Angel and Firefly and watching the arc of something. And you were talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm, and that is also an arc. Yeah, so, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. So you're dealing with arcs over time. What I think slowly started to change the game in terms of people's patience is when we introduced things like DVR and TiVo, those things. Because you no longer have to watch commercials. And so when you when you no longer have to watch commercials, you just want to hurry up and get back to your show. We're all guilty of it. Every, every YouTube video we watch, if we can skip the ad, yeah. So eventually what happens is, all right, not only do I not want to watch commercials, I don't want to watch the fluff in between the story. I just want to see the punchlines. I just want to see the funny thing. I want to hurry up and get to it. So that's created a problem. So instead of watching uh, an hour and 20 minutes of George Carlin, an hour and a half of George Carlin, two hours of Bill Cosby, I just want to see the punchlines. So, okay, now on YouTube, we have best of George Carlin, best of Bill Cosby, best of Jerry Seinfeld, best of Ellen DeGeneres, best of this person, best of that person. Wow. And so it ends up being, it ends up being, um, no, I don't want to sit through these long epic stories of, Bill Cosby setting up a story that takes 10 minutes and then the, and then the, and then the punchline is minutes long and then the, the downgrade of the joke is 10 minutes long and then he's slowly transitioning to the next bit and he's sitting in a chair and he's slowly sipping his water or George Carlin going on a, on a, on a rant that takes forever that people just want. And so anyway, but then after YouTube and taking away or you know being able to fast forward commercials hulu mm-hmm. says all right if you pay us more money you don't even have to watch commercials at all netflix says exactly the same thing. so then inevitably that makes its way to social media and sure. then people say i don't want to watch i don't want to watch commercials on social media are three seconds long exactly three seconds one two, two. three it's three. a gillette commercial or exactly. some other commercial so think about that having to market something and having to sell something and present something in three seconds because your audience could couldn't care less. They don't they don't and you know they skip it. And so, they're built and and I'm seeing I'm noticing commercials now built for the fast forward. Oh, just make sure there. that you get the name because it, they, yeah. they know you're fast forwarding. They right. know so therefore we want to just make sure that enough of the name the story of the commercial is not mm-hmm. is not what it is, but it is built for fast forward. So do you have a number? I mean, are you looking for a, like, what your ideal life mm-hmm. would look like? Do, do, uh, do you have a Do you have a number, a a financial number, or a that 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 would look like so that then you would spend the rest of your time creating and working as a content creator rather than as a hustler? I've never, I've n- I personally never thought of a number per se, but I would. You know, no, I've never thought of it that way. But I, but I think a lot of comics are trying their damnedest to somehow fit in, fit in with that, with the demand of being quick and witty and funny. Yeah. But comics also don't want to have to make a TikTok account. You know what I mean? And 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 and, and people are famous from Instagram and TikTok, and some people might genuinely be very funny, but but they are good at marketing themselves in those very short, short few second video. I'm not. It's I its own longer, art. I have, I have longer stories. My comedy takes, a, it's not like I'm sitting there for hours, but it, it takes me a little bit longer to build up a story. And I'm telling you, I don't think people have uh, as much patience for it anymore. All right. All right. Now, here's where I want to differentiate because there's the word people. And when you use the word people, 
it just tosses everybody into a monolithic yeah. And yeah. I, I and I want to I, I want to diffuse that in my own consciousness that the right people the people I'm looking for those are the people that I want to connect with. I mean, this yeah, is... and they're, yeah, they're out there. You know, they're out there. Uh, but you know, another example, um, take music for example. I'm a big trance music, electronic music fan. I love the lasers and and the heavy trance music, and I really get into. Uh, the big DJs, but a very particular style of trance music. However, the other day I came across some classic rock music and I was like, man, I forgot I actually really like classic rock too. This was just a few days ago. Well, I came across some Led Zeppelin songs that, and some, and some Queen songs and, uh, and uh, Pearl Jam and all these, and what was the other one? Uh, uh, Metallica even. Well, some of these tracks by Aerosmith are seven to nine minutes long. Okay. And I was, and I was thinking about these tracks. I was like, these are really good. This is really good. And the DJ, the DJ sets that I like are long too. But these particular hit classic songs were, were really long. And I don't know that a lot of people have patience for it today. However, like you're saying, there are people that still will sit down and listen to yeah. an album, album of, of George Carlin, or they'll listen to an entire Led Zeppelin album, or you know, they'll read the thick book or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're still they're still out there. Well, that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering is that because if there is an audience that would allow us as working artists to have our rent, our health care, our basic transportation and this now, it's not going to be Seinfeld money mm -hmm. or, or David money or, or this It's not going to be. But it's going to be a livable wage that then allows us to create, to do. Yeah. This. So it, it that's that's the universe that I want to play in. I want to play in that universe that somehow. I would be able to get I'm able to get to that i i'm uh, i do television and i'm a communication coach so that's that's what what allows the 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 this electricity to happen today yeah. what i want is to have an opportunity to explore consciousness explore dying explore uh comedy explore these things in human beings talking to human beings about the human experience like i'm talking with you mahar mahar yeah, uh, that I wish I knew the answer to to that. Oh, I'm not asking. Know. I'm not asking for a question. No I, answer. It's a question, and yeah. as long as we have the question, because you're you you are infecting me, and you are influencing me. There is so much about you that are working. I mean, you're doing the same thing to your children. You have two sons, so you're getting a chance. They're watching you. Right. They're watching you to see. Well, how am I going to develop? How am I going to do? And so mm -hmm. they're watching and they're watching Kate. Right. Yeah, I know. You're right. And the, 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 I like the way you put it about the, you know, human beings talking about the human experience. And actually, it's funny you mentioned death because I think death is one of those things I actually like to talk. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. I actually think it's important to talk about it yep. because, because if you don't, why is it such a big secret? It's good, it's good and, and healthy to talk about it. Uh, it's not... It can be sad, but it's not always sad. If you're talking about it scientifically, if you're talking about it, you know, in terms of an afterlife or the human body or something, I think it's very, I think it's a very interesting, frankly, a so, fun thing to talk about. So do I, because I mean, and it would be sad if only the, only the poor people died. Right. And the rich people were able to, were, were able to somehow hack, hack right. that or whatever, if that was the, the kind, but it's not. And no. that's one because when it's a common human experience, when it's an absolutely common human experience, and it's something that we're getting out of the closet, let's talk about it. Yeah, let's I make agree. Sure. I, know, I know the more that I have worked on my own uh, journey in death, the, the more I have become alive. And, I, and yeah, the no, more I, I pushed it away. Who said that? Who, who's, who's the one that said that saying that I, I really like? Maybe you know. They said you live two lives. The one you're born with, mm -hmm. and then the one when you find out it's your only life. You know, and I cannot remember who said it, but, and I might be wording it poorly. I think it was worded even better than Doesn't, that. Doesn't, it's still, it's still, that's beautiful. 
Right. It's like the life you're born with and then the one you start to live when you realize it's your only life. It's a very uh, different way to look at it. And Alan Watts has a lot of very, one, one of my favorite Alan Watts, uh, when he's talking about consciousness and existence and whatnot, yeah. he's ta- he says, you know, people are afraid that when they die, they're going to be in this blackness of non-existence, he said. Um, but really, how did he wear it? He said, he said you're gonna, people are afraid you're going to be in this non-existence. So to kind of go to sleep. Yeah, this is what he said. Imagine going to sleep and never waking up again. This yeah. idea of just going to sleep and never waking up again. But realistically, you don't know what's going on around you. You just no longer exist. And then he said, so imagine, imagine waking up having never have gone to sleep. And he says, that's when you were born. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is like... <laughs> That is just, you know, just booming, booming into existence and then suddenly being conscious of all of it. But the day before you were born, you weren't conscious of all of it. No. Or, you know, certainly before you're before you were conceived. I, I, and, and I was thinking about that because, I mean, imagine the odds of and not to get too creepy about this, but the odds of the, the day you were conceived. And a couple of days before that, that it had to be that one sperm. That I just one talked to my bro- individual I, 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 of I just, all the millions. I just talked to my brother about this very same thing on Instagram. We were doing a video. And I said to him, his name is Mazin. I said, Mazin, let me ask you this. I said, are we the winning sperm cells? And he thought, well, yeah, I suppose. And I thought, so technically... If I was not the winning sperm cell, would would you be talking to someone else right now? Would there be a different version? Just of that me? one right next to it. The yeah, one. and then I come to find out my mom had a miscarriage before she had me. And I thought, well, okay, so if she had stopped at two kids, would I not exist? Like, it's really weird. And it gets really, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And then when you think about it, we have the odds. You know, we would try to, all right, so that's that one, one out of a million sperm that happens. Mm-hmm. But then you think about your grandparents. That right. had to happen at one and so now we're going too, down yeah. to now we're going down to the tree to where we're, we're this is more than atoms in the universe right. odds that right. that's, exist. Yeah. That's why Professor that, Richard Dawkins says we are incredibly lucky to exist. I mean, it's we're very very lucky to to be stand you know standing here right. and talking and. So it just makes me feel like it just makes me feel like that that there's only one answer to it is that I'm inevitable. But yeah, I, I think. That's a good way to look at it. I think that's a good way to look at it. And so therefore, if I am, then then for God's sakes, give it all I got. If, if, right. if that, that, that's what it is, then then, then there, there, there must be things beyond my own limited understanding mm-hmm. that, 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 that certainly are going on. So I get to talk to my hair. Uh, I get to get to uh, have some some time with you and and learn learn about you and and. Thank you for the gifts that you've given me today. Thank you for the the gift of your time, which is finite, and of the the, the gifts of doing the characters, which is what I'm going to be using as I as I'm doing. And uh, I will offer you, uh, I will I will certainly hold space for you. That that you, I, I love the idea of you getting an opportunity to do these characters and acting. And doing this because this I uh, this this I see as a, as a really powerful part of who you are, and I would right. love to know more. I'd love to know more about these characters that occupy your uh, your consciousness. You mean in terms of like the the voices and the characters that come out? Right, because these are these these are where I think in in both comedy and both in acting and in sitcoms and the different pieces that you will have, you will have many opportunities there that will expand your opportunities because that's not something that every comic uh, can do is to dig into that. Yeah. And it's funny because my best friend, Mike, uh, who's not a comedian, but he and I, like I was saying, we do these voices, we do these characters. And oftentimes something will trigger a character out of me, something as simple as someone's name. Something as simple, like my uh, my sister-in-law's son's name is Arthur. He goes by Artie. A-R- I guess that's A-R-T-I-E, I guess. Yeah. And every time I see him, I go, how are you, Artie? Like, I just automatically, because the name is so, the name is just so, so it's like that. I have to be his grandmother, you know, like, get over and eat, Artie. Like, just because of his name. 
it's weird. It's really weird. Or the the Minnesota thing, I there are certain places like the word barn. I can't say barn. I have to go, you know, that's a big barn. You know, you have to get into something. <laughs> you have to get hey. you have to do the character when I have to like do the character when I'm talking about that car that particular thing. It's weird. Yeah. How maybe do you like maybe, the how do you like the audition process? Have you gotten a chance to to, I, to go you know, to that I got, like, like a, yeah, like I said, I like I said, I got invited to audition to two different things, one in person, one over video, and um, I get it. I, I, it's it's very intimidating, but I can see why actors they get better as you do more. You kind of know what to expect. Going in raw, like the way I did, very little research. Uh, I was I was really nervous, but you know what? It's it's you just learn. I, I was really disappointed. I felt like, oh, I could have done better. I could have done this. But I also read about actors saying that, too. So oh, I can I can see why they get better and easier. And, and then you do 500 and you get four roles or something. Sure. So I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity. I hope more come along. I, I believe they will. And, and one of the things. So, so do you have a are you dealing? Are you seeing your inner critic evolve? Is he the same one or because I because I've been working on this and because as I as I worked as a communication as a communication coach around the world, the one common theme was I'm harder on myself than anyone else, that that's what it is. I mean, arrogance always comes out of smallness. I've never mm-hmm. seen I've, I've never, never seen talent talented people who who were not generous and kind and and you know the the, the somebody that i would admire or want to follow so your internal credit critic so do, can you see a value to him assuming we'll give him a gender being easier on you do, would that take anything away from you if he- I, yeah i think for me personally the internal critic which i think is always there is uh, uh, when you try to push out your ego, when you try to push out the ego, usually the critic follows because I think that I think the ego and the critic are 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 often like holding hands. They're different, but they're hold, but they're holding hands. Excellent. I'll give you an example. I've met comics um, at shows, and I will judge them. I'll say I'll subconsciously look at them, or maybe consciously, and go, "This person is not going to be fun." I can, I can just, I can just tell. I said that once about a comic, and he went up there and it absolutely killed. I mean, he was brilliantly funny. And after that, I was like, you know what? From now on, I'm not going to judge a book by its cover. I'm not. It doesn't matter what the person looks. He was just a very kind of small guy. He kind of had glasses on. Just didn't look funny. I was like, but then afterwards, I was like, he's. And and I should have known better because people meet me and they go, you don't seem funny. You you seem too serious. But so anyway, that that might be an ego thing, and then the, the internal critic. Sure. I think the internal critic. I think is uh, in a way there's it's okay to be a little bit critical. So because it keeps you in check. Oh, I agree. I agree to be able to, to to do that. It's just the the value of the harshness of it because I'm right. because I find that that my judgments I carry parallel judgments in that any time I judge someone. And when I say judge someone, it's just to either make them wrong or make that, that, that I'm carrying a parallel, almost as if it's a an entanglement piece. I'm carrying a parallel. I'm carrying something against myself. And the harsher the judgment, the more if there's something inside that I get an opportunity to be kind to myself about, irrespective of where I mean, I'm not like like, for example, I don't have any I, I don't care about Charles Manson. He doesn't, I don't have judgment about him. I'm glad he's away, that he's not, that, that, that he's never going to go. But apparently I have dealt with my mass murder or within Dennis. But boy, you want to talk about some comedians or you want to talk about, boy, I have judgment. And so when I see, okay, well, maybe there's something I need to work on within me. The problem is, I think sometimes when the when the critic within you starts affecting your confidence, when a critic starts affecting your confidence, exactly, it can, it can well really said. take a long time. Because if I criticize a joke, that's one thing. If I criticize one of my own jokes, that's one thing. It's healthy, but if it starts to affect my delivery and my confidence in myself, thank you. And then you start to slip into depression because it, not, and I don't mean that clinically, but I mean like you start to get so down on yourself. That exactly. it's very difficult to come back up. And, and that's where, and when we're talking about, when we're talking about creative depression, 
which is different right. from clinical right. depression. Right. Right. Creative depression will squash my even being willing to take a, an attempt because yes. the, the, the attempt is the success, not the ending for me. It's, right. Am I willing to make that attempt as you were talking about those, those, 50, uh, those uh, 500 auditions to get four roles? Am I willing to make the attempt? Yes, exactly. And it can be, it can, and I've, I've seen opportunities in my life that if I, if I, I almost convinced myself not to do it and ended up being, uh, it's, it ended up being the things. Exactly. You know? and, the, and, um, they, they, they happen in weird ways. Uh, but the fact is if you don't put yourself out there, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to have the luck unless you go put yourself in the position to get that luck. That's where you, that's where you're going. My hair. Thank you for today. Thank, thank you, you so much. Go over, uh, go over today. Thank you for giving me an opportunity today in, uh, on May the 18th, 2020, because, uh, my senses, and I would just give you, give you this one of the, um, in, in the past, I have had a tendency to meet people right before they pop. Oh, I good do news. this over and over and over again. It has happened to me. It has happened to me when I, when I was working with uh, when I was working as a sports journalist. It happened to me when I was working out in in, in L.A. and the talk shows that I've done and the different work that I that, that I have. And, and so uh, my uh, I'm very I'm it feels strongly that there is that there is something uh, really compelling about your process and product and where you're learning and where you're going on this journey and and especially as you're talking about the philosophy and the, and the different works that you're doing and and the characters uh it, it's just deeply strong and i and well I, I really i really really appreciate that it's very nice of you very encouraging to hear it so that, that means a lot thank you uh, my pleasure, and I look forward to uh, meeting you at another time. Thank you, Dennis. Keep in Thank touch. You.